0: I'm Mike Vardy, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Chris Bailey. So this is another episode from The Vault, and I've had the opportunity to chat with Chris Bailey on three separate occasions for this podcast. Now, this conversation you're going to hear is the first ever conversation I had with him on this podcast. It's from October of 2014, and we talk about the idea of living productively. Now, Chris and I have become great friends over the years, and he's put together an impressive body of work. And I think that going back and listening to the beginning of this journey to a degree, especially with this episode, and then going back and looking at his work, which you can find, of course, at chrisbailey.com, I think is a fantastic place for you to go. And especially if you want to live a productive life and and chris's journey has been phenomenal Um, we are still great friends we actually have had the opportunity to hang out on a regular basis over the past couple of years virtually of course and i can't wait to have the opportunity to have more conversations like this one a fresh one maybe in the not too distant future so here's an episode from the vault about living productively with my good friend chris bailey enjoy I'd like to welcome Chris Bailey to the Productivityist podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me today.
1: Mike Vardy, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: How are you, man? I'm doing really well. We had a chance to chat just before we jumped on to record, and it's been a while since we spoke. I mean, the Productivity Project's been out. When did the Productivity Project come out? Let me take a look. It came out in, oh my goodness, January January 2016. 2016. Yeah. Two and a half half years ago. That's craziness. Man. And you've got a new book. uh, You've got a new book. Yeah, I do. I do. It came out yesterday. It's called Hyper Focus: How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. And to me, uh, I would say that if we're going to have a guest on the show that talks about productivity, this would be a good, you would be a good guest and this would be a good book to talk about. Because the biggest thing that a lot of people that I deal with, clients, et cetera, struggle with, and an audience is is this fact that the world isn't just moving at a rate of, of of speed that is hard to kind of just deal with, but then the distractions are just numerous. What was the impetus for you to say, I'm going to dive deep into this particular area of my work? Because you've, st- I mean, your, your site's a life of productivity. You know, there's a lot yeah. of productivity stuff that you could, but why why did you say, hey, you know what? This is an area that I think that that I want to kind of, you know go into into great depth
1: uh, honestly it was seeing myself struggle through these issues that i write about in the book you mentioned the first book, The Productivity Project. And during the writing process, as I'm sure you're aware with, you're you're so focused on what you're creating and to get it out into the world. And you want to work toward that end result. And eventually, there's the point at which the book was out into the world. And it was doing well. It was selling well. The audiobook was doing well. Uh, it was translated into a number of languages. But then I found myself with significantly less to do over the course of the day. There are are interviews and things like that. But I found that it's Parkinson's law, classic productivity rule, Parkinson's law, where my work was expanding to fit how much time I had available for its completion. And so because of that, what was expanding wasn't the important work I was doing every day. It was the distractions that I tended to. It was doing busy work. It was checking uh, email more often. It was not taking my own advice That I had been giving for a couple of years up to that point. So I thought, okay, if I'm struggling with this, somebody who calls himself a productivity expert, quote unquote, uh, maybe other people are too. So I started, it was kind of like another deep dive project in that way where I thought, okay, why is this the case? Not just, you know, of course, distractions are distracting, it's right in the name, but why on a neurological level are they distracting? And can we work back from the science and make that science practical? Uh, so that we can work differently and better and more productively every day. So that was my intention, to create a book that was sort of an antidote to living in this world of constant distraction and interruption. And it was just, it was kind of selfish in a way. It was just as much for myself as it was for anyone who would happen to pick it up.
0: Well, what's the saying? Uh, Write the book that you want to see in the world, right? Write the book that you need to read, right? Right. Um, yeah.
1: And whenever you find yourself, I, I think, given advice without taking that advice, it's a good signal that there's something deeper there, I think. So I think that was the impetus for putting this book out.
0: So you look at the cover, great cover, by the way, and you see oh, hyper focus. And a lot of people are like, to me, it creates like this anxiety a little bit, you know, like, and yeah, I'm, and I'm it's and very I'm red in the, in the space. Well, the, the cover's red. There's the arrow pointing in, the, in a very focused direction. It's called, Hyper focus. And I talk about hyper scheduling, which to me, I I actually, uh, it's funny, David Sparks talks about hyper scheduling as well, but he talks about it in the positive sense. I talk about hyper scheduling, Mm -hmm. how it can be, um, if you hyper schedule yourself, then you could run the risk of being over scheduled and overwhelmed. Whereas, and I'm looking, when we go through your book, I wanna talk about like how if someone's looking at this going, hyper focus, that sounds intense, (laughs) like too, it's too much. Can you break it down a little bit so that people can understand, hey, look, this isn't about you going, um, it's not about like, you know, being super caffeinated and, and like just yeah. d- super driven. <laughs> it's about, it's a, it's, it's a very, it's a very different, you know, a very different kind of idea of what focus, what, what type of focus it is.
1: Well, I think that's an idea that I keep coming back to in my own research and, and I know you do too, that productivity, is not about doing more, 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 faster, 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 it's about doing the right things and doing those things deliberately and with intention. And honestly, between us, Mike and you know, I'd imagine a few listeners, hyperfocus was the best word that I could come up with to call this attentional state where mm-hmm. we are totally immersed in what we're doing. It's it's kind of like flow in that way. Mihai, check me Mihai's. Idea. Who's this uh, renowned uh, psychologist? But hyperfocus is the process by which we get into a flow-like state where we become totally immersed in in what we're doing, and so that's what I I I really like to cover. It's very catching, and and I hope people people pick it up uh, from at the bookstore because of that reason. But that that was simply the case. Is you know in practice though. Hyperfocus is it's slower and it's more deliberate and it's more thoughtful. Um, you know, I, I define the four steps that again is based on on the the process by which we usually focus on something. And the first uh, step to, to hyperfocusing on something out of four uh, is choosing something that is productive or meaningful to focus on. And so this is something that we don't do often enough, especially when we work on that autopilot mode that, that uh, essentially we're working on hyperdrive where we're just working fast and frantically instead of with that deliberateness and that intention. And it, it's, I think it's a, a calmer state. You know, If you think back to when you were the most productive, you probably weren't working fast and frantically. Uh, maybe you were working, working a bit slower than usual, but you were working with a level of deliberateness and with intentionality that uh, more than compensated for the speed at which you were working.
0: One of the things that that I also love about your work and and there's some definite definite uh, you know, cohesiveness is this idea of attention and I think that people yeah. get really hung up on time management, priority management, even to a certain deg- degree because most people and we've read about this with Greg McEwan's book Essentialism, like yeah. priority priority was defined as just one the next thing. Not there's no such thing as the <laughs> word priorities, right? So I want to yeah. talk a bit about that. You, you talk about attentional space. Can you? People have probably heard about intentional space and, and, you know, I, I, yeah. you and I are very much in sync with productivity is about intention plus attention. I think that that's, that's clear. Oh, yeah. What, 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 what is attentional space and how do people uh, how can people um, navigate that? Because I think that that's an area where, like you said, there's there's lots of distractions. There's a lot of a lot of things going on. Th- whenever we're in any kind of space, the, the the chance of overwhelm creeping in is very high. How does someone navigate yeah. themselves through attentional space? Well, the, le- like you
1: said, and and I, I know, like you continue to say, attention without intention behind it, it, it's just wasted energy because you're not being thoughtful about what you focus on. But this idea of attentional space and if you flip through the book it's very visual. There's a lot of pictures. Um, it's not a you know a children's book by any stretch of anyone's imagination <laughs> but you know th- there had to be a way to bridge. The research to how we can act differently every day, and there's this idea not to nerd out. I actually, I feel like uh, No, you can the, nerd the folks out. Folks who listen you can. to the show, yep, our <laughs> uh, our fellow productivity nerds. So there there is this idea of our working memory capacity, which is how many how many ideas and uh, things we can keep in our mind at one time, and the way that I illustrate that in the book is by this little circle that indicates our our attentional space. And so if we try to cram too much into that, uh, we overload our working memory capacity and our productivity. Falters because of that, um, and you know, th- again, th- this is one of those ideas that you know it, it kind of reframed the way that I thought about a lot of ideas in ways that surprised me, like especially around multitasking. It, it's a common refrain that multitasking doesn't work, but I found that there there are cases in which it does. So we, you know, who is somebody to say that we can't walk while we chew bubblegum? while we listen to an audiobook while we avoid the cracks in the sidewalk you know our attentional space is pretty full at that point we can't really process more in the moment but we can usually manage a few habits at one time but it's when we begin to take on things that are uh, have added complexity like the most important tasks in our work uh, for example they're, they're important because they require more of us. They take more attention to do right. They, they take time. But also, like you said, you know, time management doesn't matter in a world of distraction as much as attention management does. Most of us are pretty good at managing our time. We can manage a calendar. We can show up to meetings on time. But if we can't then focus on what we've scheduled or what we've intended to accomplish, then then it, it doesn't matter as much as it did before. But essentially, the idea is We only have so much attention to give to the world around us in the moment. And there there are a lot of books on how to be more productive in general and take on uh, better tasks. And this this book covers a bit of how to uh, determine what's important. But it's really on that moment-by-moment basis that the rubber meets the road, that we're distracted, that we're interrupted. And so by managing this space better and defending it, better by disabling distractions ahead of time, we can uh, use our attention that much better, too.
0: You know, I had Ben Hardy on the show not too long ago, actually eh, about a month or so ago, a little bit more than that. And, and we talked about how his idea of willpower doesn't work. And you you and I, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I do agree. I think willpower plays a role, but I don't think it's at, you can't rely on it solely. But he talked about environmental choices and making creating an environment that allows for 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 your work to flourish and for your productivity and attention to, to be, Um, you talk about that in the book as well, right? Like this idea of creating a space, not just this, this attentional space in terms of this, the mental component, but also the physical space. What are some of the things that you recommend people do? When it comes to um, and some of it is probably stuff they've heard before. Maybe something that they may not have heard before. Uh, I mean, turning off your phone, all that stuff, airplane mode. We we get all that. Yeah. But what are some of the other things you found? Because you are an experimenter. What are some of the things you found that said, <laughs> "Hey, you know, this will, this will, this will also help you in ways that maybe you didn't think."
1: Yeah, the phone thing is actually a, a pretty curious one because uh, the studies on that are. Um, I've become one of these people who talks about studies all the time, but I love, this is honestly one of my favorite parts about writing this book is, you know, the tactics, but Mm -hmm. how do they work? What's the the science behind them? Uh, What what, what studies have been conducted? And the ones on smartphones were actually pretty, um, almost sad in a way, Um, because, you know, you see, I, I write out of coffee shops quite a bit whenever I'm hunkering down on, on a project. And you see people who are connecting with one another over coffee and they flip their phone down on the table. But that is still, like you said, it's a, it's a cue in our environment that a world of distraction is, is just within our reach. And they, uh, I read one study where they <laughs> walked, they were at a coffee shop and they observed patrons of the coffee shop which actually sounds kind of creepy now that like you can imagine somebody just <laughs> watching you with a clipboard noting every time you pick up the, your phone but they found that people picked up their phone every 3 to 5 minutes and so that was times when they shifted their attention away instead instead of letting it wander for example on on how meaningful that that relationship was and they surveyed these people after and they they compared them to the coffee shop patrons that that didn't have their phone on the table, and they found that the people with the phone on the table, uh, they rated the conversation with whomever they were with as having less closeness to it, and that they weren't able to connect as deeply, and they even rated the quality of their relationship with that person lower. Um, and so, you know, the the basis behind the, this study is the fact that. The state of our our attention determines the state of our life. You know, if we if we cram it full of things, we're going to feel overwhelmed. And the less control we have over our our attention, um, you know, the less autonomy we feel. Have been shown to feel uh, the less we accept ourselves, the less happy we are, and even the less satisfied we are with our life. And the same is true with our kids, by the way. Um, You know, I don't have children yet. We're getting married in a year. These things take time. But the kids rate. Their control over their own life uh, as being lower, and they accept themselves less uh, when when they don't have as control as much control over their attention. But our environment, you know, a smartphone is just one potential object of attention in our environment. So this is something that I would in- remind people to do because I think we all know the best productivity tactics. But once you realize why, and once you realize the results. Of, of that distraction, like that your relationships are, are more shallow when your phone is nearby. Uh, you really begin to have the impetus for that drive to clean up that environment. So if you look around you in your office, wherever you might be happy to listen li- listening to this, um, you know every single thing in your environment can serve as a distraction. If you have your tablet open, if you have your phone nearby, um, but for, for me, I, I've used this research to my advantage because you know these things serve as cues that a world of distraction is away. So in my office, looking around, I've got my turtle Edward who is basking on his rock. Uh, I turn the filter off so people didn't complain about the background audio. <laughs> I have you know noise canceling headphones. I have um, you know no phone, no tablet nearby, and there's a meditation cushion. There's a piano, uh, which are things that are less attractive than the work that I want to be doing. And I think this is the key, is that what we see as a distraction is really just an object of attention that we can welcome into our attentional space that is more attractive in the moment than what we truly want to be accomplishing. And Mm -hmm. so Facebook will always be a more attractive object of attention than a report we need to be writing. Twitter will always be a more attractive object of of attention than a than conversation we're having. Uh, and, and so I think that's the key is, you know, look around you and think, okay, what around me is going to prevent me from doing this, like as Cal says, this deep work or getting into this, uh, like Mihai, Chicks Mihai says, getting into this flow like state. And it's ultimately going to sabotage my productivity because we, have trouble resisting distractions. For there's fascinating science behind that too, but uh, it, it's our environment that makes a huge difference. Also,
0: well, and and as you're talking about this, I think it's important that people need to. I mean, as someone who's meditates, and I don't meditate as much as I should, but I almost feel that you almost always have to meditate if you want to pay if you want to be properly paying attention to people. Um, and what I mean by that is the pr- what meditation calls on you to do. So for example, if you're meditating, you're supposed to basically leave your mind empty, right? It's supposed to, any thought that comes to, to your mind, you're supposed to acknowledge that it's there and just let it go. Acknowledge it's there yeah. and let it go. I feel you have to do that every single moment in the day at this point. Because, yeah. you know, if you you and I are talking right now, and I mean, I'll be honest, like you and I are talking, and I have an appointment to go to after we're done here. And as we're talking, that part enters my head and goes, don't forget, you got an appointment. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, i let it go. If I let myself focus on that, that that appointment, which I'm not even in the moment of right now, then it's going to dilute the quality of the experience that you and I are having in a conversation, right? So I yeah. think that the yeah. the 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 tactics, or the um, yeah, the, the 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 yeah, the process of meditation, what what you should be doing when you meditate, can be exceedingly helpful when you are not meditating if you want to you know cultivate uh, you know attention to where it should be paid, right? Yeah, and this is the thing. I, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. Meditation
1: has some fascinating science behind it, and, and the research shows that when we have a consistent meditation practice, you know, we talk about this attentional space, which we use to work on things and we fit tasks into our our, our attentional space in the moment. And so by managing the space better, we manage our, our life better. We manage our, our reality better. But we have thirty percent more attention to give to the world around us when we meditate. Um, and uh, the beautiful part about meditation that that I think is underrated is, you know, of course it sharpens our attention. We're able to bring more focus to what's around us. But it is a practice of holding a single intention in our mind, uh, which is remarkably difficult uh, to to do in the moment. So when mm-hmm. we're sitting on the meditation cushion, our intention the whole time is to focus on the breath. And then we lose grip over that intention when. Our mind gravitates to uh, think about work or to think about a meeting or to think about an appointment or to remember some cringeworthy stupid thing we said you know last yesterday or, or whatever <laughs> it might that, be, yeah. right? Have you ever, okay, yeah. so here's, an, here's an interesting or come, thing. you come that, up with like the perfect witty response to something yeah. that somebody said to you two weeks ago.
0: Or you've got this great idea that you want to capture in the moment, like you want to write it down yeah. and you feel like you can't. Like here's here's when I knew I was actually meditating okay. properly. Um, and when I knew that it worked is if you're meditating and, and it, it, it's that part of your brain that is always, you know, the primitive part of your brain that's trying to fire off triggers, right? And I remember sitting yeah. there and- all of a sudden, I had a tickle on my cheek. Like, you know how sometimes you get like a, like, because you're focusing on the breath and you, I've let go of all these thoughts and all of a sudden your, my brain was fine. Like, fine. I'm going to create some sensations yeah. on your body and see what, see what, how you deal with it. And so <laughs> I remember having a little tickle on a cheek, like just a little one. You know how sometimes those happen. Was randomly, it your wife? Right. No. No, it was no, not. Just... It was just a random, <laughs> random like spasm. T- you know how sometimes those happen. And yeah. I remember going, my brain going, you should scratch that you should if you scratch it it's going to stop and i'm like no i'm just going to let it go and it stopped without me scratching yeah. it it completely stopped and that's how you that's how i think you know like that was the first the real aha moment where it was like okay there was a yeah. physical sensation that was happening with me and i chose to stick to the rules quote unquote and it worked it didn't the the yeah. the, the, the the sensation went away and it moved on And, and I think that, that our brains, especially again, the, the amygdala, the the primitive part is always going, how do we keep you from accessing the, the deeper, the, the, the prefrontal cortex, that, that higher reasoning we, cause all that part of your brain wants to do Mm -hmm. is really just get by, like, just, can we just get by? Um, and and it's really, you know, I think that there's a lot of we know there's fascinating science behind all that. And, and yeah, it, talk it's about,
1: quite fascinating with, with the cues as well mm-hmm. uh, on
0: meditation retreats, which
1: I, I had the the chance to attend. Which ones a have few you done? when I was in the process? Uh, there were a seven and a 10 day vipassana extended meditation thinking, retreat. There's a
0: I've been thinking about doing oh, one of those, they actually have them on the island there too. It, yeah. Oh.
1: What, what, what a better, can you think of a better place than Victoria Island in the summertime? No, 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 I,
0: I cannot. So what was it like? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because I think that that's, that's something that I've read about it. And I'm like, oh, that seems like I, like my son and I were talking about it and he goes, uh, he goes, you know, there's people who I've heard that done it that have just started crying because they can't do anything. Like, it's just such a sensory deprivation overload. Like, it's just a crazy experience. What was yours like?
1: It's remarkable because you begin to really uh, sharpen your focus over the course of however long you do it. I I think my first one was three or four days, which is a it's a nice beginner length. It's not so mm-hmm. intimidating, intimidating as these seven or 10 day ones. But you you know, we talk about the cues in our environment. And I think I write I write about this in the book a little bit, where we are present you, you notice this on an extended meditation retreat where you notice that your mind has been distracted, but then you find that you're able to draw the path of distraction Back to the original cue that set it off. Mm. And it just goes to show how our minds are wired for distraction. So, uh, you know, you would hear a bird chirping outside. Which would remember you? Which would remind you of the bird in the square when you were in Paris three years ago? And then your mind goes off to the trip of Paris. So now I was there with Kelly. I wonder how what she's up to. I should check her face. And then you know you notice that you're in this well of distractions. (laughs) Like holy crap, how did I get here? But you begin to draw things back. And if a bird can set you off, then imagine. (laughs) How your smartphone could, but the the, the remarkable thing about the, the medita- meditation practice is not only does it expand your attentional space, not only does it allow you to better defend that space and resist distraction, but it, it's just this beautiful way of uh, of living your life. Like you said, you know what is um, I think any moment that we don't have an intention behind what we're doing is a wasted moment. Mm-hmm. And so after you choose that productive or meaningful object of attention, that, that first stage of hyper-focus, and you tame the external and internal distractions which prevent you from getting into it, then you focus on what you're doing and you continually draw your attention back to it, which is the fourth step, the third and fourth step. And so it's kind of like a, a meditative practice in a way where you have your, your intention to focus on something. You eliminate the distraction so that you're able to accommodate that intention within that, that working memory capacity in the moment. So you can carry that intention with you as you go about your day, as you go about your work, and continually draw your attention back. You make uh, I would say that for every minute you spend meditating, you make at least 10 minutes back because you're able to focus deeper, you become a better custodian of your attentional space. Uh, one of the most remarkable stats that I encountered in all these hundreds of studies that I dug into was that when we do work in front of a computer, we only work on one thing for an average of 40 seconds before we switch to doing something else. And mm. when we have apps like Skype and iMessage and, and Slack open as we're doing work, that average drops to 35 seconds. Uh, and if you think back to your last most productive day, you probably followed through uh, many of these steps. You knew what was important, whether you set an intention or not. You uh, es- eschewed the, the distractions that came in. Uh, you've brought your focus back to that thing, maybe because you're on a deadline and and you had to do that out of necessity. You know, this is our most productive state, and, and like you said, it's a bit calmer than the book cover might, uh, <laughs> might might lead people on to. But at least that'll get them to pick it up, and and uh, hopefully the average person out there, um, you know, maybe they're a bit less receptive to these ideas of. Of slowing down and working more thoughtfully and, and more meditatively, like you said, but um, it'll get them in the door. And I I think you know these are ideas that we all need. You know, we need to choose more often what to focus on before we focus on it. it it's so simple, it's so elementary, but hardly any of us do it. Absolutely. Chris, Sorry, this has been, on you know, no, the no, 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 no,
0: no. You know what? And here's the thing: <laughs> is that you and I could talk about this for hours. And we have in we the could. past. We've sat we've sat in a I remember the first time we had a chance to meet was in Ottawa. We were at Zach's Diner in Zach's Byward Diner. Mark. Yep. And we sat and we, we, I I we basically, I think we're there for like what, two to three, like we were there for a couple hours just going. Yeah. Cause there's not, first off, There's not many of us that get a chance to get together and and do that. And there's not many Canadians that get to do it. No, not many Canucks that get to do that. (laughs) No, there's not many productivity nerds that are Canadians that we, that we know of. If if there are some out there, please let me know. But um, this book will help anybody, whether you are a productivity uh, expert or strategist like, like me and and you, or whether you're just like, I, I, you know, this, I, this, I need more focus. I need to get through And, 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 Bust up these distractions. Hyper focus How to be more productive in a world of distraction. The book is out now. It came out, you know, yesterday. Uh, Chris, where can people pick up the book, and where can they learn more and find out more about what you do when you're not, you know, uh, you know, writing books? Because I'm sure you're working on the next one already.
1: Usually on this meditation cushion or drinking green tea. Yeah, yeah. The book <laughs> is available in bookstores. Everywhere uh, it, it's available in Canada, the U.S. Um, you know, so uh, th- this is something that I, I'd encourage folks to do. Uh, is you know, instead of hopping over to Amazon, uh, you know, go to the local retailer that, mm-hmm. that, that sells books in your in your area, because uh, you know, these are great folks that they'll recommend other books that are like it that that you might also like, and then you get the serendipitous aspect of it where you run into a book that you never knew existed simply because your eyes gravitated towards it when you were scanning the book. So, it, the, yeah, it's available on Amazon, it's available in bookstores everywhere. It's available on Audible if you like the the dulcet uh, soporific tones of uh, sounds of my
0: voice. But if you don't, then you should pick up the <laughs> the hardcover. <laughs> if you find me annoying or you could, or you could say when when will the canadian accent creep in when will it creep in oh, oh he said i a don't boot. know bud he said a boot oh he said a boot <laughs> bud oh my holy boats mike holy boats so uh yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah uh, it's, and, it's yeah, everywhere
0: uh and, and a life of productivity right that's the other that's yeah the, that's a that's life of product-
1: i'm still bad at, at uh promoting my stuff but a life of productivity is my site where i write a column on productivity and i'm at under chris underscore bailey on twitter uh they made my publisher made, made me get made a more professional username
0: <laughs> no no more wiggle chicken eh no more wiggle this chicken is, this is you're looking at you're
1: listening to the chris bailey 2.0 mic. What, oh, what do you wow. think I, I like it i like it thing.
0: i like it you know i mean I, and and you know i can't wait to hang out with chris bailey 2.0 again it's funny we just talked about as we're wrapping up here that um we're obviously recording this you know in advance um, spoiler alert. Um, but we're both going to be uh, doing speaking engagements at the same time. I'm going to be near where you normally would be. And actually, it's funny because King, where you live is basically equidistant from Toronto to Montreal, really, in a lot of ways. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty much equidistant. Um, but you're speaking on the same day in Montreal that I'm speaking in Toronto. So we won't get the cross yeah. paths. But I can't wait to for the next time that we do. We get to see each other in person. Chris, thanks yeah. for joining me today They're on the will- show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Again, I encourage you to go back and look at some of the other episodes that feature Chris, which I've put in the show notes, as well as his work itself. Of course, you can find all that stuff in the show notes. And if you want to get to the show notes very easily, just go to productivityist.com slash podcast 416 to find those. And then, you know, explore living productively further with Chris Bailey. By the way, if you want to explore supporting the podcast Uh, you can go to our sponsors page. It's one of the best ways to support the show. All the sponsors that you listen to today will be presented there. Just go to productivity.com slash podcast sponsors and that way you can support the show. Another way to support the show is by leaving a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. That's another way to let me know how we're doing with the show and how I can make the show better. Finally, another way to support the show, and this one's the easiest of all, just hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come including next week's episode. I'm looking forward to next week's episode because it features Cameron Harold. This is a conversation that I had a while ago that we're finally delivering to you. And Cameron is someone who I've wanted to chat with for quite a while, fellow Canadian. So it's, it's going to be another good one. We got back to back Canada uh, this time around with a productive conversation. So you don't want to miss this one. And the way you, you don't miss it is by subscribing. Cause that way it just gets delivered to your podcast app of choice. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.